Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Passage comes from Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Thanks, Maria. Great. Well, uh, nice to meet you. If I haven't, my name is Steve. I'm going to be speaking today. and Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, these parables that we are told uh, in Luke's gospel from uh, Jesus. And we pray today you'd speak to us through your word, and uh, your word would be living and active, and it would show us who we are and show us who you are. And show us how we are to live in light of those two things. Amen. So we're in this series in Luke's Gospel looking at the parables of Jesus under the heading The Upside Down Kingdom. And uh, we said that these stories are not so much timeless truths, but rather descriptions of what is happening when Jesus comes as king and an invitation for us, the listeners, to step inside the story and participate in the kingdom, and we find out that it's an upside-down kingdom. And you'll have noticed that many of these parables have two people that are contrasted. So we have an older brother and a younger brother in a parable. We have a Samaritan, and we have then a priest or a Levite. We have a rich man, and we have a poor beggar, Lazarus. Today we come to the Pharisee and the tax collector. And Jesus, the reason he does this, the reason he has two people in the story that he contrasts, is to show that the kingdom of the world is upside down compared to the kingdom of Jesus. So it's the prostitute-loving younger brother, not the morally righteous elder brother, who ends up in the father's house having a feast. It's the hated Samaritan not the religious priest who helps the man on the side of the road. It's the poor beggar Lazarus who ends up comforted while the rich man ends up in torment. Jesus uses his parables to say, this is what the kingdom is like. It's upside down. One day, the kingdom will be revealed and everyone will see it and who's in and who's not. Now it is hidden, the hiddenness of the kingdom. And he's trying to give us sight So we can see. And then we can say, do I align myself with the kingdom of the world? Or am I aligning myself with the kingdom of Jesus? And so it's no different in this parable. It's the righteous Pharisee that's condemned, but the sinful tax collector who's justified. What's nice about this parable is we are actually told by Jesus who it is for. Verse 9, if you want to have a look down there. And not only who it is for... Uh, we were also told why he said it. At the end, he tells us. So let's start with why he told us at this. Look at verse 14 at the end. It says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus is telling us this parable, and the conclusion is around pride and humility. 
That's what the parable's about. And who's it for? Verse 9, look at this. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told them this parable. So Jesus is talking about people who feel very confident of their own righteous status before God based on good works and meritorious acts. Because of the quality of their lifestyle, their choices, their religious rituals, their morality, they think, well, we're acceptable to God and we're acceptable to the community and we can therefore look down on other people. So with that person in mind and with this big theme of humility versus pride, Jesus says, let me tell you about two men who went up to the temple to partake in a sacrificial service where they prayed. You see, we know from the Old Testament that the most likely context of this parable that Jesus is telling was the atonement offering that happened at dawn at 3, and at 3 p.m. in the Temple of Jerusalem, which was up on the hill, and so you'd have to climb it. And each service, every day, began outside the sanctuary where the, you know, God's presence was, at the great high altar, and the priest would sacrifice a lamb for the sins of Israel. And in the middle of this ceremony, there'd be prayers, public prayers. And then there'd be a sounding of a trumpet, a clanging of cymbals. And then there would be, the priest would disappear off into the sanctuary where no one else could go to offer incense and to trim the lamps and make sure they were all burning. And there'd be a reading of a psalm. And at that point, when the priest disappears into the sanctuary, the worshippers would have a moment for private prayer. You have public prayers that are going on as the priest makes these uh, prayers to say, God, forgive us our sins, and the lamb is sacrificed. And then you have this moment of private prayer. This seems to be the context that everyone in those days, we don't understand it because we live 2,000 years later, but they would have understood, oh, he's talking about that moment where there's a pause in the ceremony, the priest disappears, and you can pray your own prayer. Two men go up. Two men participate in the atonement service. Two men have an opportunity for private prayer. Two men goes down and back home. The externals, what's going on outside, is all the same. The physical journey up and back is the same. The context of worship service is the same. Crucially, their hearts are radically different. One has a proud heart and one has a humble heart. And therefore, what is going on while they pray and participate is very, very different. And ultimately, the state of their hearts before God determine their status before God, justified and not justified. So let's have a look at these two characters and see what we can learn about our own hearts and the issues of pride and humility. Let's start with the self-righteous Pharisee, verses 11 and 12. Remember the Pharisees are the religious leaders, they're the whiter than white, they have buttoned up all the Old Testament laws and they keep them all and they've added their own ones onto it, they're whiter than white, they're good people, good civilians, honest neighbours, they're your modern day churchgoers. And in verse 10, do you notice there, look what it says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, sorry, verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself, do you see that, by himself? So he separates himself from the rest of the worshippers so he can pray. And the content of his prayer, he thanks God that he's not like those awful, terrible people that do terrible sins, the robbers, you know, the thieves, the evildoers, those rogues, the adulterers, those who are sexually immoral. And then do you notice what he says? And even this tax collector, verse 11, 
And so you see the tax collector was part of the worship service and he looks over as he's praying his private prayer and he says, and even that tax collector. And after thanking God that he's not like all these awful people that do all these awful things, he starts to list why he's so good. Do you see that there? He fasts twice a week. He gives a tenth of all he has. Now it's interesting, the Old Testament said you had to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement. So he's heightened the rules. Everyone in Israel was supposed to fast once a year. He fasts twice a week. What a holy guy. And it says you're supposed to give a tenth of you know, your oil and, and uh, grain and wine. But this says, I give a tithe, a tenth of all I possess. He's sort of gone above and beyond again. He's gone beyond the call of duty. And he wears it as a badge of achievement for everyone to see. Look how moral and holy and good he is. Now, it's common for Jews to pray out loud. And so that's probably what's going on. During this private moment of prayer in the worship service, the Pharisee actually smuggles in a little sermon. And, you know, this unsolicited ethical advice to everyone else. You know, have you ever been in a prayer prayer meeting or a prayer and worship night when, you know, you were supposed to be praying to God, but you feel like someone's telling you a sermon, you know? That's what's going on here. And he's giving some ethical advice, particularly to this tax collector. So what's this guy's view of the world? Well, his view of self, he has an impeccable piety. He's confident in his righteousness before God and others. And he's grateful for himself. I'm so great. Thank God I'm not like. His view of others? Well, he sees all their sins and failures and he looks down and despises them. He judges them. They're beneath him and they're not acceptable to God. And his view of God... Well, he actually thinks God has done well to have him on his side. You know, God's the lucky one in the relationship. To have such a person as this guy in God's family, well, God owes him, God's in debt to him because of all his righteousness. So that's the Pharisee. Question, how do you feel about him? Thank God I'm not like that Pharisee. Ah, you are? Isn't that what happens? we end up saying what the Pharisee says. Thank God I'm not as judgmental or proud as that. I've got all these righteous acts of tolerance and and accommodating others and I'm kind and accepting. And we look at the Pharisee and we point the finger, don't we? I did when I first read it. And we are every little bit as like him as he points the finger at the tax collector. We're just as confident that we're not like him and we're better. Don't you think that? Maybe it's just me. Be careful. Pride has the ability to blind you from what's really going on in your heart, just as it's blinded this Pharisee. That's the point of the parable. So let's look at the humble person who doesn't pass judgment on anyone save himself. Uh, what's going on here? Oh, the, yeah, it's all come up together. There you go. So we have the penitent tax collector. Tax collectors were the traitors and extortioners. Traitors because they were Jewish people that were collaborating with the Romans to gain taxes from the people. And the Romans are in charge of Israel, you know? And then they were extortioners because they kind of lined their own pockets at the same time. So they were seen as sort of the the backstabbing lawyers and the government officials and bankers who had sort of corrupt for their own benefit. That's who we have in this story. And notice again verse 13. He prays by himself, but this time it's different. He stood at a distance. It's not so much he's praying by himself because he's better than everyone else. He feels like he's worse than everyone else, and he wants to get right with God. 
which is what the atonement sacrifice is all about, getting right with God. And not only does he stand at a distance, you see, he doesn't look up to heaven, which is a real sign of recognizing his sin and wanting to repent and realizing he is not worthy to be in the presence of God. And then he beats his breast. You know, a sign of intense emotion often seen, say, at funerals and times of mourning. There's remorse and there's sorrow and there's anguish of the soul. This man is mourning over his sin. And look at the prayer, verse 13, right at the end. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the word have mercy is a stronger word in the original Greek. It's the idea to be propitiated, which is, God, avert your anger from me in your mercy by removing my sin. Again, that's what the atonement sacrifice was all about. Now, the translation, and I don't like doing this because it alienates us from the text, but the translation actually is not God have mercy on me on a sinner. It is God have mercy on me, the sinner. He's putting himself all on his own. And he's saying, no, I, I, I'm the opposite to the Pharisee. I'm in, a, I'm, in, I'm in a class of my own, but as a sinner. I know my greed, my betrayal, my dishonesty. I know my heart. I know I'm not worthy to be in your presence. God, have mercy. God, take away my sin. So just picture the scene. The Pharisee and the tax collector are standing in front of this great altar where the high priest has taken the lamb without blemish to sacrifice for the sins of Israel. The tax collector stands far off from the worshippers who are gathered around the altar and he watches the lamb of God and the blood being sprinkled. He hears the blowing of the silver trumpets, the clash of the cymbals. He hears the psalm being read and he stands at a distance. The priest disappears inside the temple. And shortly after, the priest reappears to sort of declare, your sins are forgiven, the lamb has been sacrificed. And as the trumpet blows and as the incense wafts to heaven, the great choir sings, the tax collector is distraught with his head down, beating his chest, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Which is what God did. That's how the story ends, verse 14. Do you see it right there? I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. The tax collector wasn't sure if the lamb of God that was being sacrificed would cover his sin, but he went home justified as he cried out for mercy. The Pharisee, who wasn't sure if he needed forgiveness at all because he was so righteous, is not justified and goes home condemned. And so the Pharisee is downgraded while the tax collector is exalted. And that's what Jesus says. So if you humble yourselves, you're exalted. If you exalt yourself, you're humbled. Anyone who thinks they have anything to boast of before God will be downgraded. Anyone who comes to God knowing they have nothing to offer and crying out for mercy will be exalted. So what's this man's view of the world? Well, his view of self, he's the sinner, unworthy to look up to heaven or be in the presence of God. His view of others, as Paul says in Philippians 2, he considers others better than himself. His view of God, I love this, he sees God as both very holy, in whose presence he cannot stand, and very merciful, on whose character he throws all his trust. So what do we learn from this amazing parable? I want to leave you with two main thoughts. The parable teaches us that we are so often blinded by pride and we cannot see that the kingdom is upside down. It's hidden. 
Think of that other story. The two are so parallel. The story of the two prodigal sons. One broke all the rules, one kept all the rules. One ran away, one stayed at home. One wastes all the family money, one makes and saves all the family money. One chose the path of self-discovery, one chose the path of moral conformity. Both sons are alienated from the father. And in both cases, the father has to initiate in love to bring them into relationship with himself. The sting in the story of the prodigal sons, which again is directed at the Pharisees, is that the elder brother is more lost, more lost than the younger brother. Because pride has blinded him from seeing his sin is every bit as ugly as the younger brother's. It's just manifested differently. He's more lost, not, because of it, not in spite of his goodness, but because of his goodness. His goodness is getting in the way. He's self-righteous, he's angry, he's judgmental, he's rude. Pride has, alien, has stopped him seeing that he's alienated from the Father. He doesn't want the Father. He doesn't want a relationship with the Father. He just wants the Father's things. He doesn't love the Father. He loves his righteous record. Like the Pharisee in this story. So in both parables, Jesus highlights that sin is not primarily about breaking rules. Think about it. The younger brother breaks all the rules. The tax collector, he breaks all the rules. The older brother doesn't break any rules. The Pharisee knows all the rules. Sin is not about breaking rules primarily. It's about breaking a relationship, which the older brother never gets restored and the Pharisee never gets restored. But the tax collector and the younger brother end up back in relationship. And that's what pride does. It blinds us from seeing our sin and the broken relationship. And it tries to say, look, I've kept all the rules God owes me. And it blinds us from seeing the sin of pride beneath all our sins. So pride blinds us from seeing that our character is destroyed and we're becoming this ugly person that could be harsh or rude or manipulative or judgmental. We don't see that in ourselves. We see it in other people. It, it, it blinds us from seeing how we're destroying relationships by treating people lightly and looking down on them. But we, we feel justified because we're better. It blinds us from seeing how it's destroying our relationship with God. We're complacent and arrogant. And Luke is at pains at this section of his gospel to show us how blind we all are and how blind the disciples are. And how they still think in the way of the kingdom of the world rather than the kingdom of God. So they're thinking about money and power and praise and recognition. And God's kingdom isn't about those things. But they can't see it because of pride. So if you just go through Galut's gospel, what happens next is we have babies that pop up. And, 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 and they're brought to Jesus and the disciples go, no, out. And Jesus says, no, you've got to become like a baby. Their kingdom is hidden from them. They're thinking like the world, not like Jesus. And he says, you must become humble. What follows the babies is the rich young ruler who wants to inherit eternal life but misses out because he loves his money too much. And Jesus tries to show him, you love your money too much, but he's blinded. He's too hardened of heart to soften his heart. And the Pharisees, what do the disciples do? No way, if he can't be saved, who can be saved? They're thinking like the kingdom of the world. Then Jesus predicts his death. He says, I'm going to be humbled to death on a cross, and then I'm going to be exalted. And what do the Pharisees, it says about the Pharisees, it was hidden from them. They couldn't get it. Uh, so the disciples, they couldn't get it. 
And then what happens? While the disciples are blind to who Jesus is, this humble king, we get a blind man who can see. And he comes to Jesus. And the crowds this time, not the disciples, rebuke him. No, no, no. That's, they think like the kingdom of the world. And Jesus lets him come. And what does he pray twice? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And because the crowds shut him up, he shouted it the second time, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Sound familiar? Does the prayer sound familiar? It sounds almost identical to the, pharaoh, to, to the tax collector's prayer. I'm a sinner who needs mercy. What happens next? The story of Zacchaeus. Who is he? The chief tax collector. He's in charge of all the tax collectors. He's the biggest traitor. He's the biggest extortioner. And he's so small he climbs a tree because he can't see Jesus. But Jesus beckons him and he eats at Zacchaeus' home. What do the crowds do? I can't believe he eats with a sinner. And Zacchaeus is transformed by the unconditional love of Jesus that he gives back all he has stolen and, and, and more. His life is changed by the acceptance Jesus gives him. Luke is repeatedly making the point that we are blind to the kingdom. And our blindness comes because we're proud and we think like the kingdom of the world, money, power, recognition, moral righteousness. And Jesus says, no, my kingdom's upside down. And all the people you don't expect to be in and all the people you don't expect to see it are in and they do see it. So question. I mean, who do you look down on? A family member? A person at work? person in this church we all look down on someone and we all think we're justified for doing it and God says we're all like the Pharisee be humbled today by this parable and what are you blind to see in that you still think of the kingdom and you still think of your life and you still think of a relationship with God as well how am I going to boost my way up a career ladder or some kind of ladder and Jesus says, no, the kingdom comes in weakness and brokenness and hiddenness. That's not, it's not about what God's going to bless you and give you. You've missed it. You're thinking like the world. May he give you sight today. So the parable teaches us that we're blinded by pride. The second thing the parable teaches us is that we're shaped by our hearts. Not only is the kingdom upside down, it is inside out. I said at the start, two men experience the same externals. They journey up to the city of Jerusalem, to the temple, the same atonement sacrifice service. They both have a moment of personal prayer, which they pray. They both go back home. But their hearts are different. And Jesus says, you're shaped by your heart, not your externals. One assumes he's justified and isn't. One assumes he's cast out and is in. One focuses on all the things he's done externally, tithing and fasting. The other one focuses on all the internals, his pride and his sin. In other words, two types of hearts are on display. And you can summarize these hearts. You may have heard this before. I'm sorry for my terrible PowerPoint numbering. Religion says this, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. It's outside in. Look at all the things I'm doing. I must be right with God. I'm accepted through my moral performance. The gospel says, I'm accepted in all my mess as an unworthy sinner, and therefore I obey. It's inside out. Two people are coming to the same temple, but for radically different reasons. And that's why one is judgmental and self-righteous, and the other one is humble and repentant. Let's apply it to our lives. We all came here today. Didn't we? 
made a journey. And we're all going to make a journey somewhere after. But the benefit of today's worship service, the benefit of a city group, the benefit of a life group, the benefit of any religious ritual you do, is determined not by what you're doing, but what's going on inside as you're doing it. And so... The proud heart comes to a service and starts going, this isn't to my preference. This wasn't what my church did before. It's not what I like. And starts comparing with people. And then you go home unaffected. The humble heart comes grateful that there's mercy on offer from the King of Kings. And doesn't compare because comes alongside fellow people who are trying to find mercy from the King of Kings. And it's changed every week. Do you notice that in your life? There's people you go, why are they progressing in the Christian faith and I'm not? Why are they growing in their character? And They're participating in all the same externals, but internally it's totally different. You see, I've said it before, the church should not be a waiting room for an interview where we all have our CV and we're trying to show how good we are. That's a Pharisee. The church is we're all waiting for the doctor. We're all sick. And we're going, I'm the worst. And then we all come and find the great physician who brings healing to our lives. Jesus is saying the kingdom is not like the Pharisee outside in. That's pride. It is like the tax collector inside out. That's humility. So how do we grow in humility? How do we overcome pride in our lives? How do we go from outside in to inside out? Did you notice that the younger brother, Zacchaeus, and this tax collector all experience something. They are all completely aware of their sin. All of them. The younger brother's made a mess of his life. The tax collectors are clearly an extortioner. Zacchaeus is at the top of the tax collector's chain. They all know they've sinned. And therefore they come into God's presence saying, I'm not worthy. And then they discover that he makes them worthy. Isn't that right? The father wraps the arms around the younger son. Jesus calls Zacchaeus down from a tree. This man goes home justified. They are not worthy as they enter, but as they come into the presence of God, they are made worthy. That is the gospel. I'm accepted in all my mess, in all my pride, in all my ugliness, in all my insecurity, in all my self-righteousness, in all my sins that are obvious and my sins that are internal, by the love of God, his mercy. And in response to that, I go, wow. Let me participate in what you have for me, Lord, as a response. You know, there's one other place in the Bible beat, beat their chests. One other place. And it's at the cross where Jesus dies. And it says this, Luke 23, 48, when all the people who'd gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. What's going on? The Lamb of God is being sacrificed. The blood is being spilled once for all. The atonement sacrifice is being made in a final forever way that makes us righteous before God. The great high priest is achieving for us something which will never have to be repeated. The king of the universe is using his power in an upside-down way 
to serve. And Hebrews chapter 4, which talks about this sacrifice and this priest, puts it like this. Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest and unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Listen to the approach. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can approach boldly. Because the lamb has died and the priest has made that once for all sacrifice. And when you see that he had to die for you, you're so unworthy, your sin, the ugliness, the pride, it humbles you like the, like the tax collector. But when you see that he was glad to die for you, he wanted to die for you, it exalts you to the heavens. And we discover that we are these loved sinners who are not worthy and made worthy. And that changes the motivation of your heart from being a Pharisee to a Christian. Let me finish with this. Once you understand what Jesus has done, that atonement has been made. You see, outside in people are motivated by fear and insecurity to prove themselves. Inside out people are motivated by what God's done and are just grateful. Outside in people obey God to get God. Inside out people, uh, sorry, outside in people obey God to get things from God. Inside out people obey God to get God. Outside in people get angry when life doesn't go their way because God owes them. Inside out people find it really hard when life doesn't go their way, but they trust their Father in heaven is training them through the hardships. Outside in people get furious and defensive when given constructive feedback. Because they're the righteous ones. Inside out people find constructive feedback hard like we all do initially. But their identity is not based on their performance. So they're able to receive it and grow. Outside in people have a prayer life that is like a list of things they have to get through. Inside out people find that they just enjoy being with God. And yes, there's stuff to pray for. But they linger in the presence of God. Outside in people swing between low and high self-esteem depending on how well they're doing. Inside out people have a sort of a humble confidence. They're not arrogant, there isn't a swagger, but nor is there false humility. They're loved sinners. Outside in people look down on people not like themselves. Inside out people pray for their enemies. And I love this, they have no need to win arguments. There's no inner need. Nothing to prove. Outside in people are prone to anxiety when life doesn't go their way. Inside out people find the challenges of life are set and the setbacks hard, but they know safe in God's love. Can you can see why the scriptures repeatedly say God's oppo- God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? I've often said to myself and I heard it said, we must humble ourselves before God has to humble us. Pride is horrible destroys our view of self, it destroys our relationship with others and ultimately destroys our relationship with God. Let the cross of Christ, we're going to come to the communion table, humble you to the ground. I'm more wicked and wretched than I ever dared believe. My sin is more ugly, I just can't see it. But I'm more loved and cherished than I ever dared hope. Look what he did. That's how we grow in humility together.
There's this lovely, from the Anglican tradition, the Church of Ireland and the, the Anglican churches around the world, they have this lovely expression as they approach. You know, this is all about how we approach God. Listen to this beautiful prayer. We do not presume to come to your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own goodness, but in your all-embracing love and mercy. We are not worthy even to gather up the crumbs under your table, but it is your nature always to have mercy. So feed us with the body and blood of Jesus Christ, your son, that we may forever live in him and he in us. Amen. So what I'm going to do, is we're going to sing to respond a great song about the love of God and what he did on the cross. And I want us to take a moment before we come to take communion, the bread and the wine, Matthew will explain it, to pray that prayer on your own, to get your approach right. You're not worthy, but he makes you worthy. And that's wonderful. Heavenly Father, we, we take a moment. We take a moment to be silent and get our posture right. Lord, I have been amazingly challenged at the mirror this passage has put into my own life and my own heart, seeing my pride and my ugliness and my lack of love and lack of compassion and all kinds of things that I'm really the Pharisee. But I thank you, Lord, that you're not a Pharisee about Pharisees. You don't come with a wagging finger at those that are looking down on others. You come with the same warm embrace the same desire to lift us up, the same merciful offering of atonement that you made for each of us. So I pray, Lord, in my life and in our lives, that you'd reveal our pride. And even when it's really wounding to us, we'd know that that's your love, that you're wanting to exalt us in the end. and we'd see the kingdom is upside down, we wouldn't value wealth, we wouldn't value power, we wouldn't value prestige and recognition and impressiveness, but we'd value service and love and sacrifice and all the things that we see in your life. And I pray, Lord, we wouldn't come to you with this, here's all the things I've done, as if that proves us in any way, but we'd come with the internal heart of saying, I'm not worthy. But in your presence, you make me worthy, and I'm so thankful. So, Lord, we do not presume to come to your table, trusting in our own goodness, but in your all-embracing love and mercy. We are not worthy even to gather up crumbs under your table, but it is your nature always to have mercy. So feed us with the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that we may forever live in him and he in us. And God's people said, Amen.